Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Preach from this Bible, it's big. Um, but this is a study Bible that I wanted you to be aware of. Brother Howard Casey got, uh, got this for me and uh, gave this to me as a gift and I uh, very much appreciate it. And I wanted you to be aware of it um, from uh, Thomas Nelson Publishers. And if you're still looking for a, a, a a study Bible to help you and just with maps and with timelines and with overviews and, and commentary and all that type of stuff. Uh, this is the King James Study Bible. It's just called that, the King James Study Bible, second edition, and uh, very, very nice. And it has a lot of uh, notes down at the bottom, lots of introduction at the beginning of all the books, um, lots of uh, like timelines, graphs. There's a, a downloadable graph, uh, um, pictorial. Um, publication that comes with it, you can download for free, and uh, has the uh, the thumb uh, the f- thumb finders and so on. It gives an outline of every book and so on. So if you're still looking for one, I've mentioned the Life Application Study Bible. I have the Thomas Nelson Study Bible or the the Thompson Chain Study Bible. Ryrie's obviously a great great one, but if you're uh, studying into the Word, uh, this might be one that you might be interested in. All right, um, Malachi. If you're if you'd like to look at it afterwards, you're, you're certainly welcome to. Malachi chapter number 3 and verse number 6. Malachi 3 and verse number 6. Let's pray and just ask God's blessing on this time. Thank you, Lord, for this privilege we have to be together in this place. And Lord, we, we really just need to hear from you. We need your word. We need you to help us, to guide us. Um, that's what we've come here tonight for. And so I do pray that you would just guide us by your spirit and open up our understanding. Would you give every person here encouragement in Jesus' name? Amen. He says this, Malachi 3 and verse number 6, For I am the Lord, I change not. Let's read that together. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Right? Because he's merciful. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances, my commands, and I have, I, and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, wherein have we to uh, we return? Wherein shall we return? And the question is, what, you know, when did we leave you? <laughs> Why do we need a return? Now, does anyone remember in that verse, does it, is there a, a New Testament parallel verse that kind of comes to mind? When he says there, return unto me and I will return unto you. Anyone remember a verse that that kind of sounds like? James, James, draw nigh unto God, and he shall draw nigh unto you. All right, and so there, there it is. Now, the reason I read that as a setup to what we're doing tonight in looking at the minor prophets is just to help us understand that's the message of what God was constantly, over and over, communicating through these prophets, is, listen, I want you to return to me. Now, I'm going to bring some judgment into your lives, but I want you to return to me. And it, God's judgment was always for restoration. It was always for a purpose. And so we need to understand that all the way through. Now, the minor prophets, if, if we're honest with ourselves, are a little bit, you know, like, it's like, 
went into a dark room. It's like going into the trash shed before it was rebuilt. You know, it's kind of, it's ominous. It's, it has mystery, what's lurking behind the walls. You know, it's just, it's, it's kind of, it's dark. And you don't, you don't always know uh, what's going on inside the Minor Prophets. They're kind of this, this, there's a set of 12 books, like, I don't know what's going on there. And so they can be mysterious, but they really are, once you start breaking them down, they're very, they're very understandable, very accessible. Now, the prophets, the minor prophets especially, are not linear. They're, they're not always easily understood. They're not just going in a, in a line. We're going to try to break it down and, and, and help us to, to be able to categorize it tonight. But uh, there's a lot going on in them. Uh, they're not just... They're not just commenting on time in a line. Sometimes they're, they're speaking about things that are, gonna, are yet to come and have yet to be fulfilled in eschatology, in the study of end times. And so uh, sometimes there's dreams or visions. Uh, sometimes there's metaphors that are used. Sometimes there's geographical or historical context that's not really under, uh, understood or uh, that's familiar to us. And so there's a lot going on inside of them. Um, so it's not really this, this neat, Neat, well-packed story. Uh, you could think of it more as a tapestry that God is weaving together and he's communicating to his people and he's trying to get them to come back to himself. But it's a beautiful thing that God is doing. We want to look at it as a whole. Um, so each of the prophets gives us a, a glimpse of the overarching picture of what God is trying to do in the nation of Israel, bringing them back to, uh, to himself. Now, the minor prophets... We have the major prophets and the minor prophets. It's not like the major leagues and the minor leagues. And the, there's, a, there's a reason for this. Uh, the major prophets really focus more on, on what's going on inside of the, uh, the exile. Uh, the minor prophets are um, pre and post the exile. And we'll get to that in, in a moment. But the, the, the major prophets are what? Who are they? And she was the smart one in the group and just read it right off the list. Very, very good, Julia. Uh, uh, wonderful. And so, yes, there it is. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentation, Ezekiel, and Daniel. All right? And so there's a lot packed into those books. We've already studied over them. You can go back and catch that. We have 12 minor prophets that we're going to be looking over tonight, starting with Hosea, going through Malachi. Uh, some people call it Malachi, uh, but that's not, that's not the, uh, the, the pronunciation. Uh, Malachi. And uh, really, what we've, what we've seen is we look at all the prophets. We have 17 different books, 16 different prophets. Who is the prophet that wrote two? Very good. He wrote Jeremiah and Lamentation. And so uh, we have three different kinds of prophets. Three different uh, and kinds might be the wrong word for it, but they, they, they prophesied or they ministered, they preached, they took from God what God gave to them, and they Forth told, they declared a message from God to people, oftentimes to uh, kings and uh, governing uh, officials. Uh, they, they communicated that. And so we have those that were pre-exile. We have those that ministered during the exile. We have those that ministered after the exile or post-exile. And so we'll look at all those uh, tonight. And so uh, the exile um, is listed on your, on your sheet there, deals from 587 and to 538 B.C. And so it was this period of time, and so that's what we're talking about. The, the prophets dealt around that. You say, now, the prophets are over here, 
you know, what about the history of Israel? So a lot of this intersects. There are, uh, there are uh, charts that I believe I gave you back when we were going through the history. So if you go back in the, um, in the, when we were going through the history of, of Israel, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, there's charts that mesh it so you understand where the prophets fell in line with the kings. I believe I put that in the back of one of your handouts. So uh, with that, you have these, these, these meshed together. Uh, so the history and the prophets, these prophets ministered to real people just like you and I that, that have been laid out in the history from Second Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. So it's all uh, listed out there. Now, so we have the pre-exile, the exile, and the post-exile, and we're going to deal with those tonight. And so as we also think inside of the 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 prophets, some of them ministered to the northern kingdom, and some of them ministered to the southern kingdom. Give me that chart, would you, of, uh, of the, uh, the, the divided kingdom there, uh, the map of the divided kingdom. So some of them ministered and wrote their, uh, their uh, stories to, the, to the Israel, to the northern kingdom, and some ministered and preached to the southern kingdom, and we'll, we'll list all that out uh, tonight. But as we think about the, the, the minor prophets, we're dealing with uh, a group of men that ministered over a period of about 200, uh, 200 years, and they were preaching to God's people and calling them uh, to, uh, to themselves, uh, uh, the period ahead of the exile. And so we're going to deal with some of those things. Now, let me make a few more points before we dive into breaking down these books. Um, from 850 B.C. to 430 B.C., uh, the prophets were communicating messages. They were preaching. You know what that tells us? That for about 400 years, God was talking to his people and he was saying things to them. He was, he was addressing messages through his preachers to them. Now, how well did Israel listen? Not very well. Okay, so we have the pre-exile, the exile, and the post-exile. And God was preaching all the way along. He's, he's communicating, just like he is today, through preachers, just like he is today. He's taking his word, and he's, it's being published. And they were, they were hearing these messages, but they were tuning, up, tuning them out, sad, uh, sad to say. And then, as we conclude the prophets, as we get to, uh, come to the end of Malachi, what happens? There's silence. You know, when God goes silent, it's not a great thing. In fact, I don't know, I've, I've heard uh, dads that have done this, uh, that, that a, a form of the way they would deal with their kids is just going silent. Now, uh, I forget who was telling me that story, but they said, when, when I was in trouble with dad, uh, everything just went silent. You know, you kind of get ignored. Uh, it's a scary thing when God goes silent. And that's exactly what happened in between the prophets and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's about 400 years of silence. Now, the problem in the prophets, really, the overarching problem that was going on, Israel was going through the motions of worship. Many times they're going through the motions of worship while worshiping their own gods. And in that, like, even what we can tend to do, we can go through the motions of worship and still worship our finances. We can go through the motions of worship and worship our relationships. 
And this is what they were doing. God was calling them back. They, they were going after Baal and after the gods of the heathens around them. And, and God says, no, 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 no. I'm not interested in you giving me just lip service. I need you to come to me. And so the solution was that God was going to deal with their sin through a judgment. Pre-exile, he was saying to them, there's going to be a judgment coming. You're going to be taken away. And he was, he was declaring all that. And he says, I'm going to bring you into judgment so that you can be brought back to me and ultimately so that all men can be saved and restored and brought into a relationship with me. And he would declare the coming Messiah and God would pursue after his people over and over and over again. And many of the messages of the, uh, of the, the prophets, the minor prophets, were, hey, there's, there's a Messiah coming, there's a Messiah coming, there's a Messiah coming. You have Micah that, that prophesies he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And it's pretty amazing. Now think about this. One of the things that the prophets did not understand was that the coming of Jesus Christ would be in two, two segments. So that there would be the first advent, the first coming, and the second coming. So when's the second coming happening? After the tribulation. So is the rapture the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? No. He doesn't come to earth at that point, right? So that happens ahead of the tribulation. The second coming happens, and he's coming to do what at that second coming? Like, what's the immediate focus at the second coming? The set up his kingdom. Well, what, what's happening on earth at his second coming? Battle of Armageddon. And so at that point, he's coming to, and just focus there, what's happening at the Battle of Armageddon? Who's, who are the players there? So Israel's the prey. And all the armies of the world are against Israel. And Jesus Christ comes at his second coming, coming down to earth. He destroys and annihilates all the armies of the world and then sets up his second coming. Are we with Jesus at that second coming? Yeah, and that'll be a wonderful thing. So here's the point that the, the, those prophets did not understand that there was two. So they're still looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And we see it right now. But if, you, if you've been in a mountain range, you understand, and maybe you've heard the illustration before, you can, you can be looking at a, a set of mountains and see one, one peak, one event, if you will. But it's not until you get to the top of that, that next mountain that you realize, oh, there's a valley in between that other peak that, I, that seemed to be one peak. Are you following me? So that's exactly what happened with the, the Old Testament prophets. Remember, Scripture is a is a progressive revelation. It's concluded now, but it was progressively God was revealing it uh, in time. And so they didn't have the full perspective. And so uh, there's a lot of times where some of the events of the, of the second coming and the setting of, up of the kingdom and the first coming and his sacrifice were blended together. And they didn't uh, see those as separate. That gets clarified as we get into the New Testament. So with all that in mind, uh, our real focus here throughout the Minor Prophets is God's declaring judgment that's coming for their sin. And ultimately, that judgment is, is being brought upon Israel, his people, to bring them back to himself. And ultimately, through the ministry of the Messiah, and, and we still look for the day when all Israel shall look on him whom they've pierced and will be saved. And that's going to be a great day when that happens. Joel talks about that, that after after the, the judgment, after the day of the Lord, there's going to be, a, a God's Spirit's going to be poured out and the sons and the daughters are going to prophesy and, and so on. There's going to be a good day coming where they come back to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and they believe on the Messiah. So let's start with Hosea. Hosea, and here's what, what we've done. Uh, you have that chart there. I hope that you'll keep it. If we do not get through all this tonight, bring it back next week, and I hope that you'll do that. On the back of the chart, you have two maps of the divided kingdom. Sorry, the grayscale on that uh, makes it not as easy to, uh, to see, but you kind of get the idea. Israel's uh, always the northern kingdom. Judah's always in the Bible called the, um, the, the southern kingdom, or the southern kingdom's always called Judah, and so on. And then you have where Babylon is where they were taken over into uh, captivity, all right? So you have that. So here's a chart, and uh, I encourage you at the lengths to write down how many chapters is there, relationship to the exile, either pre, uh, during, or post-exile, the audience, is it the southern kingdom, is it the northern kingdom that's receiving this message? And uh, just like I minister here in Kettering, these prophets ministered in a specific place and gave a message to a specific place. That's what that's about. And then the theme that goes along with that. So let's break this down. Hosea, there are 14 chapters in the book of Hosea, and it is uh, um, pre-exile. So he is ministering to them, and he's warning of the judgment that is, uh, that is to come. And he wrote this to the, nor the northern kingdom and to, uh, uh, up to uh, Israel and so on. So he, he wrote this to them, um, and that is his, his focus, his audience. Now, here's the theme, and if you've read through, Hosea's kind of an interesting book to read through because there is a, uh, there's a relationship that God is calling Hosea to have that, that seems very awkward, seems very, um, very difficult. But the, the picture that God is giving throughout that book is that, uh, that of his unconditional, extravagant, redeeming love. And that's the picture that we need to grab a hold of. If you think of Hosea, you need to think of God's redeeming love. In fact, put it this way, God's covenant love is more powerful than Israel's sin. And that's still true today. God's love for you and God's love for all men on earth is more powerful than man's sin. You hear a person that says, I cannot be saved or God doesn't want me. I'm not worthy of that. God's love is more powerful than, uh, than our sin. He can overcome that as we place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So God wants Israel to know him. God wants them to know him personally in this relationship. He, he didn't want a distant relationship. He didn't want a formal relationship. He wants them to know him in this relational way, more than just an intellectual knowledge. God wants Israel to know him. And so Hosea 3 and verse number 1, Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress. According to the love of the Lord, notice that, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel who look to other gods and flagons of wine. And he's saying, listen, Hosea, I want you to go have this, this as your wife and according to the love of the Lord with the same kind of love that God has towards Israel even though they, they go running after the heathen gods. That's That's love. That's love. Israel was so, so wayward and so, uh, in our modern language, so cheating on God, so against God. And yet God says, I want to demonstrate through your life, through your preaching, through your testimony, and through a, a, a life illustration, I want you to demonstrate to my people, my love is much larger than your sin. I want you to come back. And it's a pretty amazing thing. The book of Joel 
just three chapters long. It was, again, written ahead of the exile to the northern kingdom. And uh, it might be hard to date, particularly, um, but uh, from best understanding, um, pre, um, pre-exile. Now, think about this. The theme of Joel was the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Does anyone know what the day of the Lord refers to? Because it's a term that comes up much in Scripture. So he's, he's spot on, um, but a lot of it does come down to that tribulation, that tribulation uh, point after the rapture and the tribulation. And so as you think about it, Joel focuses much on the day of the Lord. It's a short collection of poems concerning this, this, coming, uh, this coming judgment. And so uh, that's the focus, Joel 2 and verse number 11. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord, now notice, is great and very terrible. Who can abide it? Who can abide it? That's going to be a very difficult day. You read through Revelation, and you realize all that's coming in the tribulation, uh, it's going to be an awful day on earth. We have not seen anything like it, though we see our world being set up for it, and we see our, our world coming to that point. It's, it's going to be an awful, awful day. And just imagine right now if you took all the believers out of the world. If you took all, all those that stood up for truth out of the world. Can you imagine what this world would be like? Well, that's what's going to happen. And all, all wickedness will break out. In fact, the Bible says uh, uh, when he that now letteth, restraineth, it, uh, is taken away, is taken out of the world. It talks about when the Holy Spirit who is in each of us, is taken out of the world. It's going to be a very dark day on earth. So then Joel also, though, talks about what happens after that. After the day of the Lord, Joel 2.28, I alluded to it a moment ago, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And so there's a day after. And I love how God over and over and over again says there's judgment coming, but there's restoration to be had. And that's the beautiful thing about our God. So many people look at the Old Testament and they say it's all about judgment. It's all about God just getting... No, we have to understand God has always been his judgment, his, his wrath, his uh, punishment, his chastening was always to bring men back to himself. Why did God put Adam out of the garden? Barm from the tree of life, for one thing. But he, was, he disobeyed. But his judgment, the judgments that God brought on him it, uh, were restorative. He wanted Adam back. And he immediately began to work uh, to help Adam to understand Genesis 3.15. There's a Savior that's coming, but for right now, I'm going to kill the, uh, these animals. I'm going to give you clothes that covered your shame of your nakedness, uh, clothes that, that came from an animal, animal skins that's going to cover you around. And immediately God is just bringing them back to himself uh, through, his, uh, through sacrifice, through uh, helping them realize the, the, the dangers and the, uh, the, the, the awfulness of sin. And so God is, God's judgment is restorative in that way. Look at Amos. Amos is nine chapters. Again, 
pre-exile, written to the northern kingdom. Now, here's the kind of the cool thing about uh, Amos. He was contemporary with Hosea, with Isaiah, and with Jonah. So sometimes we think of these guys, did they know each other? You know, uh, can you imagine what it must have been like to get together at a prophet's conference? I don't know how they had that, you know, whether they did or not. But uh, these guys did, uh, they did, uh, were living at the same time. And it's interesting that Amos in particular, uh, well, you tell me, what was Amos? Okay, the sheep herder. Uh, Amos, Amos, what's that? What's that? Uh, my understanding from the first verse is uh, that he was, he was a herdsman. Yes, he's a herdsman. So a sheep herder of, uh, of some sort, or you know, a herdsman of some sort. He was, he was, he was in agriculture, or he was in, in farming, and so on, so on. And so this was, you, know, you can kind of imagine, kind of a rough, tough uh, guy that didn't, you know, uh, was pretty serious-minded and, and so on. In fact, that's uh, kind of the tone that his messages, uh, his messages took. It's interesting, it's likely that Isaiah and Micah followed Amos's preaching as, as kids, as far as on a timeline, that they might, have, they might have grown up and may have even gone and heard Amos, Amos preach. And it's just interesting to me just to kind of think of it in those lines we think today of, you know, uh, my kids get to hear, you know, I think of like a brother Sam Davison and get to uh, hear preachers um, that are uh, uh, more mature, more mature, right, and, uh, and are uh, up there in years. And uh, I, I think of it like an Isaiah and a Micah coming, coming along and being challenged by an, an Amos who is just a, a rough, tough man that's called away from his herd and uh, given a message from God to declare to his people what a blessing that was and what an impact he uh, made. Um, so, with that in mind, uh, the theme of, of Amos really focuses again on judgment and restoration. And it was written to, uh, to instruct or deal with the oppression that, that Israel had towards one another. Um, it really has the idea of uh, calling Israel to account before God for their national sins that were going on within the nation. And God sees that in his people. And so he's calling them through the prophet Amos to deal with this. The first four messages were of condemnation. Chapters 3 through 6 were messages of condemnation. He moves on to giving some symbolic visions of judgment in chapter 7, uh, uh, chapter seven through 9 and then gets to a message of restoration. So again, God's uh, giving a message of judgment and then that message of of restoration. Amos chapter 9, in the message of a restoration, verse number 13 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, the, tre um, the treader of the grapes, him that soweth seed, and the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and the hills shall mount. And I want you to notice, and I will bring again the captivity of my people, of my people, Israel. And they shall build the, um, build the waste cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit thereof. And I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land which I have given them, saith the Lord God. This is happening ahead of time. This is pre-exile, um, pre and Amos is declaring to them there is a restoration coming even after the hand of judgment uh, comes along. Let's consider Obadiah, only one chapter, only one chapter. Well, he was brief and to the point. 
uh, there's a man, uh, an evangelist by the name of Jerry Savinsky. Any of you ever heard Jerry Savinsky? How many minutes does he preach? About 20. About 20. You say, I wish he was a pastor of Grace Baptist Church. About 20 minutes, all right? I've known pastors call him to preach and say, if you're going to come here and preach, you have to preach two messages in order to, uh, to preach at my church. Yeah, and so you get up to 40, um, 40 minutes. But nonetheless, I don't know. Obadiah has one chapter. And it's written to, well, does anyone remember who Obadiah preached to? Edom. Now, who were the Edomites? From Esau. You're very, very good. So um, what was, uh, well, well, we're on this, this track. Can you tell me, what was the main message of Obadiah to, to the Edomites? So they had not, they had ultimately rejected God, right? The, follow, the sons of Esau had rejected God following after Esau himself. But they had also, they'd also rejected Jacob, they had not done right towards Jacob, and God was going to set uh, some of that straight. So Jacob's brother, who rejected God, uh, and, uh, was therefore rejected of God. We run over to uh, Romans chapter number 9, in verse number 13, it says, As it is written, on Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, it's interesting, a lot of people run there, and they, they use that as kind of a source text for what false doctrine Okay, so Calvinism, predestination to heaven, predestination to hell, right? By the way, predestination deals with what, what doctrine? It deals with the doctrine of sanctification, not salvation. So we are predestined as believers, we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So we don't have a problem with sovereignty of God, do we? No, not at all. In fact, I'm very thankful for the sovereignty of God. We also believe in the free will of man. So the, these are important things. However, we do believe that God's wrath or his mercy is dispensed in response to the choices of man. Who did Esau reject? He was a vain man. He rejected God, didn't he? He was rebellious towards God. And so God chooses to use unrepentant evil to fulfill his own eternal purposes, just like God chooses to bless people in unique ways, and without having to answer for it. God is God. Um, but we can be guaranteed of this. The Calvinists try to draw a connection between this and, and the doctrine of salvation and try to, try to go there with the doctrine of salvation. We can be absolutely assured of the fact that God does not arbitrarily reject uh, some person's repentance and send them to hell. God does not choose and um, predestined people to, to hell and then predestined people to, to heaven. Every man has a choice on their own to choose to respond to the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. And so as we think about that, here's Obadiah that is writing to um, the Edomites, those who had rejected God, and he's announcing God's judgment upon them. Later on in Malachi, chapter 1 and verse number 2, I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, 
saith the Lord, yet I, I loved Jacob and I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for uh, on the dragons of the wilderness. So he's talking about the, this difference, but it ultimately came down to what Esau and the followers of Esau, the family, the Edomites, had done towards God in rejecting him. So Obadiah 1 and verse number 15. Obadiah 1 and verse number 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall uh, return upon thine own head. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountains, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink and shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had been uh, not been. But upon Mount Zion, there in Jerusalem, upon Mount Zion, shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And just indicating the difference. Uh, God blessing Israel, God bringing judgment upon Esau and the Edomites, but based on, on their response, their, their response towards the goodness of God and who God was. Thinking about Jonah. Jonah. Who is Jonah writing to? You remember? Nineveh. And so this is an interesting one. Now he's pre-exile. It's only four chapters, four power-packed chapters. And uh, where is Nineveh today? Iraq. So that's the area. So, and what, um, what, what, uh, Nineveh is a capital. So what was, what was the, the capital city of? Syria. And so the theme really, and you can, you can give different themes. Um, you know, some of this is, this is debatable, but, you know, on, on what you, how you look at a book. But the, the overarching theme of, of Jonah really is God's grace both to Nineveh, but also to a wayward prophet, to a prophet that's very rebellious and uh, pushing against God. And so God's grace, uh, God's grace is there. Here's something else, isn't he? Uh, you know, he, massive, massive revival. Can you imagine going into? Can you imagine going into a pagan, uh, godless country and seeing the the whole nation turn to God, or the whole city turn to God? I mean, just phenomenal. All right, so there's four chapters. He's pre-exile. He's writing to Nineveh, and God's grace is the focus there. Now there's three. Uh, there's uh, there. Um, I was jumping ahead for a moment there. Here, here's the cool thing about, about uh, Jonah. God's grace is for all men, not just for those that we like. Not just for those that we like. You know, our nation is changing in a lot of ways. Even over this past, uh, the past couple months, there's more refugees coming into our nation. And our nation is changing. Friends, we have to remember we are citizens of a high, of the of a higher country, right? And whether or not we like what's going on or not, we do have to remember that as we minister in this time for such a time as this, we God's grace is for those, for everyone, whether we like them or not. And, and Jonah was called to go to preach the gospel, preach God to his to an enemy nation, and that's probably what was the biggest hang-up for him is his own nationalistic prejudice 
that we can get involved in, I mean, just in a very real way. So I just, I just say that Jonah is, is something that we can all be in realizing God's grace is open for everyone. The grace of God hath appeared, that bringeth salvation hath appeared to how many men? All men. And uh, so God, God wants that for all men, and, and he sent uh, Jonah to speak that to the Ninevites. And he went and saw the Lord work in a wonderful, wonderful way. Jonah 2 and verse number 9, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that, uh, that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. Amen. Number 6, Micah. Um, Micah takes a pretty severe tone in his, in his uh, preaching. What's interesting about the book of Micah or the prophet Micah, uh, it's really a sister book to Isaiah. Some have called it Isaiah in shorthand. Isaiah in shorthand. And so it's written seven chapters. How many chapters are in the book of Isaiah? 66, a lot. Micah is written pre-exile, again to Judah, to the southern, uh, to the southern kingdom, or uh, I shouldn't say again, now to the southern kingdom. And the, really the focus is, the theme is God's unique mercy and his justice. His mercy and his justice, his unique mercy and justice. Now, there's three different messages that are going on in this book. The first message deals with people's sin, which is basically what a preacher's job is often to do. Here, here's the problem. And then the second message is, here's the judgment. Chapters 3 through 5, here's the judgment. This is what God is going to do. And the third part is, here's the restoration. Here's God's mercy. Here's God's uh, 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 blessing. And so uh, in chapter 6 through uh, 7, that's the focus there. Now, here's the amazing thing. In the midst of him saying, here's the judgment that's coming. Here's the judgment that's coming. Right in the middle of that, we find Micah 5 and verse number 2. And why don't you turn over there? Micah 5 and verse number 2. You said, I cannot find Micah in the Minor Prophets. Now you have a whole list, a real nice list, that's going to get them all in order for you so you can get around the Minor Prophets. Micah 5 and verse number 2. Would someone read that? Micah 5 and verse number 2. I think... I think Micah 5 and verse number 2. Yes. No problem. And who is this? Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? So here's, we're going to end right here. We'll come back, uh, come back to these. Um, isn't it amazing how that in the midst of a declaring, here's the judgment that's coming, that there's always these, these, these buts that are put in there that God says, all right, here's what's going to happen, but the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. And even as we end the Minor Prophets uh, next week, God does the same exact thing. So here, here's, here's a couple things to think about. 
Um, we even may be going into, I shouldn't even say maybe, we are entering a period of, of if not just God allowing America to have its own way as a form of judgment, you know, kind of a passive judgment, God saying, okay, America, have your way. And there's the judgment that comes from us having our own way or God's active judgment upon our nation, whatever way you want to look at it. Just realize this, that even in the midst of judgment, God hasn't forgotten restoration. He hasn't forgotten the remnant. He hasn't forgotten what he's trying to do. He's still in charge of everything. God's judgment is restorative. And we, we, ought, to, we ought to continue to pray for our own land, for our own people, that we would turn back to God. Uh, but regardless, we know that we serve a merciful God. And we, no matter the judgment that comes upon our nation as a whole, uh, there is an, a message that we get to bring to people individually that they can escape the wrath to come, that they can escape the judgment, that they can be personally right with God even if everything around them is wrong. And so we, we should not forget that. And just over and over, we see that throughout um, these prophets. Micah 6 and verse number 6 I want to give this to you, and we'll, we'll go on tonight. Where, uh, wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What's being asked? What do I have to do to get, be right with God, to please God? All right, here's what God says to his people. He has shown thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. We say that all the time. Right there, God's saying, hey, I want you to come back to me. Hey, you're my people, I want you to come back to me, and here's what I want you to do. I'm not interested in all your formalistic worship, I'm interested that you would, you would do justly, that you would love mercy, and that you would walk humbly with, with me. Every day, waking up and saying, God, I need you. I need you today. I can't do this without you. I can't be the husband. I can't be the wife. I can't be the church member. I can't be the employee. I can't be any of these things without you. I need you today. Submitting ourselves to him, all those things. And that, he's just constantly calling his people back to himself. So let's, let's take that and be encouraged by it. God's a God of mercy. We have something to point people to tomorrow. Uh, I got to witness to someone uh, today and, uh, and have another meeting with them next week to, to go further in the gospel with them. But just so away from God. So his first thing to me, he says, when I witnessed him, to him yesterday and set up an appointment today, his first thing to me uh, was, you know, me and the man upstairs are kind of, you know, we're kind of grumpy with each other right now. It's like, thanks for your honesty. And I uh, sat down and just listened to him. And boy, you know, talk about just difficulty, difficulty. We got to share Christ with him today and share what Christ mean, uh, means. We have something to point people to. There's a message of hope. Why would he come back for, uh, you know, to meet with me? And why would he ask? Because there's a message of hope. There's something good there. And it's not just all God, God uncondemned. There's a message of hope there that we have to bring to people. And then we know how to please him, walk humbly with our with our God. So let's take these things and just uh, meditate upon them and ask the Lord to bless them to our hearts tonight. Thank you, Lord, for all these different prophets that you sent to your people. I pray that you'd help us to be prophets to, to this generation, to the people right now, uh, preachers declaring, yes, there's, there is sin. Yes, there is judgment that is to come. 
and eternal judgment. But there is hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd help us to be very clear on that as we go about our day tomorrow. And Lord, give us opportunities. Help us to hunger to see people come to you and to be right with you. Uh, Not to go on like uh, the people of Israel just year after year away from you. Lord, I pray that you'd also help us to walk humbly with you, to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with you. So help us. I thank you for each person that's here tonight. Pray that you bless them and encourage their hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode, and please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for checking out this episode. I look forward to having you join us again right here on the Grace Baptist Church podcast.